Hey, everybody, this is Christine Ullman, the Beehive Queen, and I am with you today on Musicians on the Record. So hit it. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. You've heard the music, now hear their story. This is the show where we bring you the musician's story, and we have got an incredible musician today. Christine Ullman, the Beehive Queen, is on the show today. Christine has been the featured vocalist with the Saturday Night Live band for over 25 years, and she appeared on both the 25th and 40th anniversary of the SNL television. In 2017, she was inducted into the National Blues Hall of Fame of American Heritage International. Her latest CD, The Deep End, was honored on five national top ten lists, and you can learn all about Christine at her website, christineolman.net. We're going to have some incredible stories today, all about SNL, getting the gig, working with all kinds of amazing folks. Do you know how many uh over 25 years she has uh, sang with and seen a lot of acts come and go every week on SNL this is going to be such fun with Christine Olman on the show today we'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world and please let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear if you're with us again welcome back and if you're here for the first time welcome we're really glad you're here and we would invite you to subscribe to the podcast we have so many, uh, so fortunate to talk to so many incredible musicians. We want to share it with you. And if you want to watch all of these interviews, including the one with Christine, you can do so. They live on our YouTube page, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at our website at musiciansontherecord.com. So let's get right to it. Here's my time with Christine Olman. David, I'm so glad to be here with you. This is such a cool podcast. Thank you for asking me. Oh, my, my pleasure. The pleasure is mine and a treat to have you. Let's just start actually with um, your, your touring right now. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you well, say- we're in the summer of 2017 now. So uh, I'm off from Saturday Night Live. Uh, Christine Ullman and Rebel Montez are touring up and down the, the Northeast and the Eastern Seaboard. And I... We'll be going to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, my second musical home, okay. uh, late later in July for a series of uh, gigs down there with the great musicians of Muscle Shoals, of um, you know, iconic musicians. And uh, later this year uh, to Nashville for the AMA conference uh, and uh, New Orleans and, um, boy, just a whole bunch of... Um, you know, charity things and, and gigs supporting. I'm making a new record this year. So there's a lot going on, David. A lot going on. It's amazing. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, so there's no time off when the SNL gig ends for the, you're, you're off and running with all of this. Where are some of the upcoming tour dates that you're going to be playing? Yeah. The Beehive Queen is never, there's no rest for the Beehive Queen. Um, well, you know, I'm up in, I'm, I'm up in Rhode Island this weekend. Next weekend, I'm down in New Jersey at a big festival, then back up to Connecticut and then down to Alabama. So, you know, I'll just be jumping all over certainly in late June and July. In August, I'll be up in Northampton, Massachusetts, um, also doing something with um, a charity I love called the Institute for the Musical Arts. They have a rock and roll camp for girls up in um, 
Northampton, Mass, and I serve on the board up there. So, uh, you know, really just kind of jumping back and forth. Uh, Is that around Smith College as well? Yes, it is. Uh, it's down the street from Smith College. And the gig I'll be doing is at the iconic Iron Horse, which is right down the road from Smith College. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. You know, on this show, Christine, we try to get the musician's story. Can we start with a bit of your story? When did music begin for you? When did you fall in love with music? I really have um, fallen in love with music, I think, from the time I was born. I'm sure most people tell you that. They're always drawn to it, you know, and my parents were very, very supportive and bringing home, you know, even 45s. I asked my father to bring me a Jackie Wilson 45 when I was probably about three years old, and he did. He found it, and he did. I was always drawn to rhythm and blues and soul music uh, more than anything, Mm -hmm. and then later on sort of crossed uh, crossed it with the Stones and uh, guitar bands, and and, and that sort of fueled my love of rock and roll, really from the bluesy R&B side, and then later I became a really sort of semi-famous record collector and and deep southern soul as they call it is my real um focus so um when i first got into the saturday night live band and i know we'll talk about that my first the first songs that they charted for me were all these really obscure um southern soul gems you know so um so, and then from the time I was, uh, could walk and talk, my parents, uh, just, uh, suffered me getting up at every, uh, family event, putting on a show, as I would call it, at on top of a table or something. And, you know, the baby beehive queen could not be denied. I would be getting up <laughs> wherever there was anybody. So, you know, I've never, you know, I guess I'm blessed. I've never had a minute of stage fright. It's just get up there and do it, you know, and, uh, so then your blood, it sounds like it is in my blood. And then to meet and, and, and interface with all the great musicians. And I've just worked with everyone, it seems at this point. And um, it's just a joy yeah. for me. And so what was that process like? I mean, it sounds like your family was very supportive. I don't know if they were musical themselves. Yeah. Yeah, my, my father played piano by ear. My mother had been a dancer and there was a lot of music in the house that always playing records and, you know, a, a lot of music in the house. And when my brother and I formed our first little baby garage band, we rehearsed at our house in the basement and they had let us they let us keep the PA there. And, you know, and back in the day, that was something, you know, most parents would not have let you do because the PAs were really big and really loud. Exactly. Exactly. And obviously singing seems like it's in your DNA, in your soul. You also play guitar as well? I started playing guitar, you know, rather, rather late. I mean, in my early 20s, I didn't play guitar when I was a teenager Um, and then started writing on the guitar. And I love the guitar. Um, I I wouldn't I'm a real strong rhythm guitar player. I wouldn't say I'm a lead player, but um, I write on guitar and that's been a big help to me. Yeah, wonderful. And were there important teachers, vocal coaches that came along that helped you? Yeah, there was a woman that I, because I was in a band that like so many were, that played almost every night. I mean, um, you could do that. Uh, the music scene was really different then. And uh, the live scene was really different too. And um, and I almost lost my voice. I never had nodes or anything like that, but I almost lost my voice. It was uh, 
you know, sandpapery all the time. And someone hooked me up with a former opera singer and she had a technique and um, it really, really, really helped me. And, you know, I do voice coaching now and I use many of her ideas and I'm always, you know, very grateful for her help. That's fantastic. So, so important, I think, to have those mentors. Oh. It sounds like it really helped you. Yes. And, you know, with drumming, um, it's, you know, you, your muscles, you could just really screw up your body. You have to be correctly uh, seated and all that. It's really the same with the voice, David. Of course. No, it, it definitely is an instrument, right? Absolutely. It's an instrument. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm happy to say I can't carry a note, so I won't even try. <laughs> well, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. I'll let you do the singing. You have other talents. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, where, when did that happen for you, that, that sort of first big break, Christine, of that you said, okay, I want to do this professionally? Well, my, uh, there was a neighbor we had, and this is just sort of a classic story. And it was a neighbor we had, and she decided she wanted to help us. And she began cold calling record labels in New York. Wow. And one of them sent the founder of the label came down in his light plane to Connecticut and, um, and auditioned us in the basement and signed us. And the label was Mainstream Records. So um, also on the label at the time were Ted Nugent with his band, the Amboy Dukes. Yes. Um, Jeff Skunk Baxter with his band, uh, the Ultimate Spinach. And they had signed um, Janis Joplin, but she'd left and she'd gone to Columbia Records. So I was being brought in as the much younger, uh, the really baby band singer who they wanted to be growling and singing. And, you know, they did, they put out, a, we had a 45, um, the wrong, it was, the band was called The Wrong Black Bag. And we had the 45 and I'm sure they bought it onto the charts. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was Paola. Right, I, right, I right. Almost, I'd almost uh, eat this computer if it's not. But anyway, but it's so funny. And then um, the, what I got out of it was the founder was a guy named Bob Shad and he had recorded Ray Charles in the field. He was a very interesting cat mm-hmm. and he had a big vinyl collection and gave me all these Laverne Baker, Ruth Brown, all these albums I never would have been exposed to if it wasn't for him. They were just hanging around his office. And so that was great too, because I I began learning about these people. And then I had um, a boyfriend who was really into Ray Charles and he started telling me all about Ray Charles. And that was kind of it for me. Once I heard that stuff, David, I was gone, you know, but an incredible artist, legend, right, Ray Charles? Exactly, yeah. Who who were some more of those influences for you, whether vocalists or other musicians, uh, Christine? That's a great question. As time went on, um, people like um, Etta James, Dusty Springfield, a huge uh, influence on me uh, from in, in every way, her way of performing and holding her hands as well as her incredible voice. And then, you know, some of these unsung women of Southern soul, mm-hmm. people like Candy Staten, who is the still the soul queen of, of Muscle Shoals to this day, uh, Mavis Staples, you know, p- um, people that uh, Dionne Warwick, um, Irma Thomas, the soul queen of New Orleans. These are all women that I listened to for their, for the depth of their connection with the lyrics. Yes. Mm. And really, really interesting for a vocalist. It's something that any vocalist watching this, I'll just say, connect with your message because that's where it's at. Mm. And, and those artists that you're mentioning really, uh, 
powerful vocalists and they move people with their songs, with their voice, right? Yes, greatly. And But I believe that that's why, besides the fact that they had great instruments, they knew how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I began to learn how to go deeper than just a cursory reading, if I could put it that way, a cursory reading of the lyrics without really thinking about maybe just trying to hit the notes or something. I really began to understand that the notes were secondary to the lyrics. And, and for that, I would point you to people like Tom Waits and, and Patti Smith and people that don't have cl- classically great, but they, boy, do they connect, you know, so. Okay. So I, I just have to go back for a second because your story about uh, with the record company, how powerful is that? That's like that's <laughs> early networking right there. Oh, yes. So like- early networking. And and also when he said to me, I have these uh, I have these records. Do you want any? Th- those albums weighed a ton. Just saying they were early vinyl. So they were heavy. heavy. 33 and a third records, but I must have walked out of there with 15 records and, and, you know, to the tune of, I don't know how many pounds lugging them back to the train, you know, but I wasn't going to pass up that opportunity. So amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask then, how did the SNL gig come about all you right well, that for 20 years more 20 more than 20 years yeah well the the uh the, the uh musical director at the time was ge smith and ge and i had been in a band in connecticut so speaking of networking yes. this is important for everyone who's watching um we always kept in touch and one of the things that i did was i would do these mixed cds and mixed tapes from my Southern soul collection and i would send them around with a little insert that i would draw and make up and commentate on the songs. And GE was always one of the people that got these things in the mail. So one day um, the phone rang and he wanted to know if I wanted to do a gig in Long Island um, and they need, he needed a singer. At first he didn't even say it was the Saturday Night Live band. He just said, I need a singer. Um, and thankfully I was free. <laughs> so I said, yes. And then he told me it was the SNL band and there were going to be two gigs and we, I would come to New York and he said, we're going to take some of those songs off the tapes and the CDs you've been sending me. Oh, great. Okay. So I show up, they put me up for two nights at the Mayflower, the famous Mayflower hotel. We, they have beautiful charts. They pick some of the most obscure songs and we begin rehearsing. And then I find out that it's the Saturday night live band with this great horn section and beautiful keyboard, you know, support and it was fabulous and then i find out that the real gig is for lauren michael's wedding reception at his his estate in the hamptons but before that we're going to play a famous club in the hamptons called the stephen talk house so so we rehearse we get ready i get ready everything you know of course, I knew the songs and i knew known them a long time and we play the we play the first night and then we play we go to Lawrence and everyone is walking around, you know, Nick, Jack Nicholson, everyone's walking around. We do a bunch of sets. Um, I, I obviously do my best, you right, know, right. You and gig, really. from my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the next weekend was the weekend uh, that the set, the season would begin in late September. And GE was standing on the stage where the band stands and Lauren Michaels came across the studio and said to him, Where's the girl? And GE said, what do you mean? And he said, where's the girl that was with you at the wedding? And she said, well, I thought you just wanted me to get a singer for the wedding. And Lauren said, no, she was great. Call her up and tell her to come next week. So So that's how I got, I got it from a wedding gig. So, 
So what are the takeaways here for the, for the viewing audience? Number one, never turn down a wedding gig because you never know. Don't look down your nose at a wedding gig. That's right. But also um, be prepared and do everything you can do, no matter whether or not you even know what you're preparing for. Because, um, of course, I, I dug in and sure. I did all the legwork I needed to do. And I, I had a fabulous dress and everything else. And, and yeah, I mean, that. so that was how it happened. And then it just went on from there, you know. Yeah, clearly you killed it at the gig. And, and yes, got yeah. Well, I must have. I mean, I, I, I that only occurred to me later. Well, I must have thrown down, you know. Right, or, right, exactly. Or they wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be back. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the Beehive Queen does not get any nerves before a show. What is your mindset before a show, whether it's a, a gig like that or right before you're going on SNL, Christine? How do you prepare for that? Well, the first time I was on camera at SNL, I will admit I was a little shell shocked because, you know, there's not even a seven second delay. Uh, they think it takes the edge away. So, you know, you know, when it, it hits, when all the lights came on and everything, it was a little uh, daunting. But um, I, I, I dove right in. But mostly um, I tell my students, you know, um, and the, the people that I coach, I believe that stage fright is really nothing more than a heightened sense of expectation. You really should use it as a tool. So I get excited. I'm looking forward to it. You know, um, if anything, my, my concern might be, am I totally prepared? I do a lot of these all-star gigs where, you know, you, you might, you might only play a song once, you know, um, or, or these charity uh, performances where we, we uh, you know, I was with Smokey Robinson last October, you know, these kind of things where you really have to prepare in advance. Um, there's that concern, but not the actuality of the performance. I'm not concerned about that because it's my job. And I think anyone would tell you this. It's that your job is to connect mm. and to be a communicator. So don't let anything, you know, you're cheating yourself out of the joy if you let something get in the way of that. Yeah, and it's really honoring the music, serving the song that you're doing, right? So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Can you can you give us a glimpse uh, as far as, um, you know, highlights of who would those people that you remember? You've been on the show for over 20 years. Yeah. Who's some of those special people, those special moments from SNL for you? Well, of course, I was there both when Sinead O'Connor tore up the picture of the Pope, and I was also there when Ashley Simpson um, mis misread her well, cue or whatever and ended up leaving the stage. I was there, and there was a film crew there that night from 2020 from the ABC show, and they filmed everything, which is really um, interesting because it, it got a lot more uh, uh, attention, let's say, th than it would have. But my other cu couple of, I always tell people, the first time that Nirvana was on the show, you always knew that um, you were really seeing something that you'd never seen before. Whether you liked it or not, it was really different. We had at one point Vanessa Williams and um, uh, Luciano Pavarotti one Christmas to sing O Come All Ye Faithful. And he sang in Latin and she sang in English with a string section. But my favorite um, memory is the first time Paul McCartney was on. He uh, treated us to a little mini concert at dinner, not all, not other songs than what he was actually going to sing uh, on the show, including Hey Jude. And 
Chris Farley, the late Chris Farley was standing next to me and looked over at me and said, um, Christine, would you dance with me? And we sort of waltzed around the studio while, um, while Paul McCartney played Hey Jude. And Farley was a pretty good dancer, I'll tell you. Is that right? Is that right? Of course, with, <laughs> yeah. with, with the Chippendales. Uh, 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 big man, but, but I mean, it was waltzing. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, just a little waltz around the around the per- perimeter, you yeah, know. That's amazing. That sounds beautiful. And, you know, it's yes, hard to top a beetle, right? So It's hard to top a beetle. And, you know, and I've sung, I, I've later sang with George Harrison. Or I, I guess I'd already sung with George Harrison at that point. But anyway, yeah, it was just absolutely great. Incredible, incredible. Can we also talk a little bit, Christine, about the business side of music? And you are uh, involved with an incredible organization called the Sessions. And if you don't know it, go to that website. And, um, you know, you do a lot of work with helping musicians get their business up to snuff. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the Sessions is an amazing uh, organization and website founded by Jules Follett. And uh, we go all around the world. We were in Europe uh, just in March of 2017. We'd been to Europe before. And uh, this was, um, uh, we were at the Paris Conservatory, but mostly it's college groups. It's college groups of students who are studying music or music business. I think that uh, in in October we'll be in Nashville at Belmont, which has this amazing uh, music business uh, program. So, One of the things we're trying to give is a perspective, not just on the business as it now stands, but on what would keep you sustained as an artist over time. Um, You know, the business is vastly changed and uh, with streaming and all of that, if you think you're going to go into it and make money off records, that's probably not going to happen. So that means you really need to hone your chops for live performance in in as many you know, permutations, David, as you can, maybe not just with your band, but collaborating with other musicians and um, doing a session work and, and all this kind of stuff. So you, you really need to have your goals aligned up. Um, why are you doing it? As I think we would always say, if you're not doing it for the love, pick another job. Um, this is not really going to probably work out for you. Uh, it's a tough job and it's a tough uh, business. So, and also, and you mentioned networking before, and that is really the key at this point to be generous toward other musicians and other artists and to um, reach out to them, not to be dismissive of anyone to see um, what they might have to offer and then maybe link with them. And, and, you know, there, you never know, what will happen? I wasn't playing with G.E. Smith anymore, but we were friends. I mean, but, you know, I chose to keep in touch with him because we had such a great um, line just talking about old music, you know. So it was like, yeah, I'll keep in touch with him. Right, right. You know, so um, so we did. So that's why I'm where I am. And 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 I would say this to anyone, just be willing to open yourself from in a business way as well as an artistic way, because one will feed the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think really important uh, advice, important information, and, and especially that networking and the power of relationships. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Over time, you know, and you loop around. I was with someone in New Haven last night, New Haven, Connecticut. This musician, he had a wonderful band called the Bongos in, in uh, New York City in the 80s, and he's continue to be a very vital artist. And 
I hadn't seen him and I showed up and we sang and it was just absolutely phenomenal. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, you have to. Yeah. That's right. And you just never know how, how that's going to go or where the gig will come from. Right. So that's right. That's really, right. Really. Yeah, you just, yeah. Just keep reaching. I tell everybody, keep reaching and, and, and honing your skills, stay curious and, um, just understand that it's a blessing. If you're an artist, it's a, it's, it's a blessing. It's your, you, it's really something to be able to do what we do, you know? So. Yeah. And what a gift to, to be able to just play music for a living. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You are also involved with a number of charities. And so, because you've been blessed and you're giving back, I know, yes. uh, you know, with certainly with the sessions.org yes. and little yes. kids rock. Can you tell us about some of those that you're involved with? Yes. Little kids rock, which is number of people that work at the sessions are, are work with the sessions are involved in that great charity, which little kids rock.org. They give musical instruments to kids all across the United States and they fund after school programs. Um, it's become a huge program. Um, then there is a, something called the Rock and Roll for Children Foundation. They're out of Bethesda, Maryland. Our work there benefits the Children's Inn at the National Institutes of Health. Um, these are all pretty much terminally ill children that are having um, experimental um, drug trials and things um, in the hopes of helping children in the future. Then we have um, Casey Cares. That's out of Baltimore. It's a private Make-A-Wish Foundation. They do wonderful work with the entire family. The Institute for the Musical Arts, IMA.org. The letters IMA, they're up in Northampton, Massachusetts, with a rock and roll camp for girls. And the founder is June Millington, who was in an iconic a female band called Fanny. They were the first um, all-girl band, as it were, signed to a major label. So that's June Millington's place, IMA, Institute for the Musical Arts. And then the New Orleans Musicians Clinic, which is um, Bethany Boltman down in New Orleans. They serve every... Mm just everyone from Dr. John to the members of the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. They really are keeping the musicians in New Orleans uh, healthy and working well into their 90s, you know. So It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing a lot, Christine. You're giving back a lot. That's incredible, the number of charities you're involved with. Thank you for doing that. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, and, in the, and you know what? And in the course of that, I've also gotten to work with some amazing people, you know, do house concerts with Dr. John, just the two of us. <laughs> he right. plays piano and I sing. Right. I mean, that's not likely to happen, right. you know, right. just exactly. every day, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's been wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. Has there been or is there anybody that now or that, you know, is past that you haven't didn't have a chance to work with that you really did want to work with or sing with? Well, you know, I've never actually sung with Maida Staples. I know her, but I've never actually sung with her. I really would love to sing with her. She still remains a real inspiration for me. Uh, just the depth of her feeling, you know, um, but no, you know, I've worked, I sang at the 30th anniversary of Columbia Records of Bob Dylan. And then I worked a little bit that the following week with Bob Dylan, which was just kind of a weird, the way that fell down. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I just worked with so many, um, so many of these great, greats. I can't really think of anyone right now. I, I had worked with Lou Reed. I had a great relationship with Lou Reed and his loss was a big loss. I thought he wasn't really that old. And, uh, 
And, you know, there have been some, certainly. Um, we haven't had a good couple of years for losing yeah, people. It's been, you know? it's been really tough, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah One of the yeah. things that I read in my research about you was that, uh, and I don't know how long ago this was, but you did the Janis Joplin tribute yeah. with both the Big Brother uh, and the yeah. whole company and the Cosmic Blues Band. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, summer stage at Central Park. She would have been 60 that year. It was. It also was the year of the blues. Some, some president had declared it the year of the blues. It was probably about 15 years ago. And so they had a bunch of really great women. Uh, Phoebe Snow, the late Phoebe Snow, uh, Genya Ravon, uh, Kate Pearson from the B-52s. And we all sang. But the only one that really fronted both bands was me for some reason. Um, I got to sing a duet with Sam Andrew, uh, the founder of Big Brother, and then um, sang a soul tune, uh, Raise Your Hand. It was an uh, old Stax soul tune that she had made famous and done, I guess, on the Ed Sullivan Show, maybe. And that was with the Cosmic Blues Band. So it was a really great night. And at the end, we all stood on the stage and sang Mercedes Benz, you know, Oh Lord, would you buy me a Mercedes Benz and all, you know, stomping on the stage and everything. And, um, it was memorable too, because there was a, a thunderstorm coming. And just as we were finishing the dark clouds rolled in and it began, I thought, wow, this is great. This yeah. is, you know, like spooky right. we finished before the rain fell, but I'll never forget. Yeah. Just Maybe. great. Amazing timing. Yeah. <laughs> well, Janice is certainly one of my favorites. I, I love Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank, yes, thank you for asking me about that. That's a great memory. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. So so I, I also want to hear a little bit about your upcoming record, and I'm not sure when it might be released. I know you said the music business has changed, and yes, I yes. think records are still important. So glad yeah. Well, my last record, it's been a few years since my last record, which was called The Deep End. And um, one of the things that happens in, in the ensuing time, I put out a concert DVD, which is called Live Hive, based on, of course, the Beehive, yeah. Hairdo. Yeah. And um, so this one is called The Grown Up Thing. And it's a little bit more bittersweet, I think, um, as you would think uh, many soul songs are, you know. Um, I, since, you know, since then I've spent a lot of time in, in Muscle Shoals and I, that, I'm not saying that they're soul songs, they're really not, but it, that really has, you know, sort of rubbed off on me. And, um, and, and so I, I, which I realized after I started writing. And, um, so that's been interesting. It opened up, uh, as a songwriter, it opened up, I think some channels in my mind and, um, made, made the songwriting process a little, a little more interesting. So, um, so the grown up thing, and there will be some interesting on the, on the deep end. I had um, the late Levon Helm. Mm -hmm. I had uh, Ian Hunter yeah. and um, Dion. Dion does a duet with me on the deep oh, end, and awesome. um, yeah, and Marshall Crenshaw. So I'll have some really interesting. I don't want to spill the beans, but I'll have some interesting uh, guests on this one too. That's that's incredible. And when when could we expect that? Well, we'll be recording in the fall, so sometime next year it'll be yeah, out. Yeah, great. Can I also ask your process? I mean, that's a really, obviously, incredibly creative process, writing songs. What's your process with that? Uh, my process is slow. I'm not a real um, fast writer, but when it comes, they tend to um, 
get finished pretty fast. Once I turn a corner with a song, um, I'm a, very interested in my lyrics as a vocalist, how they scan. Mm-hmm. So I will spend a lot of time sometimes on just a turn of phrase, how many syllables are in the line, how am I going to sing them and fit them in? How do they trip off the tongue, as they say? Um, and then, you know, that gets wedded to the music. Um, it's always, I, I've made a joke on many jokes on stage now about writing titles on napkins. And it seems like for this particular uh, <laughs> record, I wrote a bunch of really interesting titles on napkins. <laughs> One of them was, you took a razor to my tender little heart. Oh. And that has turned out to be maybe the most popular song we're doing from the new record. So um, Alabama and Lonesome is another one. And all I had was the title, you know. So uh, then you have to fill it in. Then what's the story behind the title? Do you start with the story and the lyrics, Christine? Or do you start with a melody or something that's in your head? Or is it different each time? I never just start with a melody. Some, sometimes it's a snippet of lyrics and a melody. And then other times it's, it's more the lyrics and then I, I figure out what I'm going to do with it you know, later. But pretty much there's always some idea of the groove and the kind of a song it's going to be. So it's not just lyrics, uh, not just lyrics written in a book as like poetry. But, um, but I, do keep, I do keep a lyric book, and I think everybody really should, of snippets that come to your mind because you never know. Right. That could really be um, something that is is useful and is and is the as the capping off line that you need needed for that song. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that process for musicians or just folks watching in the future who want to have some of the success that you've had, Christine. Yeah. What advice would you give them uh, as far as with music and the business of music? Advice that I would say for anyone is to open your heart to the process, open your heart to the possibilities, and try to be as much of a conduit as you can for the art at the same time that you're very, very cognizant of the fact that it is a business. You want to be in this for the long haul. So you want to be sure that you that you build a network, that you build your reputation, that you keep up with the with the work. Um, my one of my great quotes is a quote from Andrew Carnegie, who was the built Carnegie Hall. He was a steel magnet. The quote is, my heart is in the work. And I think that without that, you you really have nothing. If you're doing it because you think you're going to attract people or you're going to make money or this is going to be, your heart has to be in it for the long haul or else you won't be in it for the long haul. And, And also you have to learn something every day. I don't care what it is about music, about life, about stay curious, stay engaged with, with the, the, the knowledge that is all around us and pull it into you and keep it and share it. Be generous about sharing yourself and, and your knowledge, you know, because there's always someone coming up behind you, you know, how can you help them? The people helped you, you know, there's not a one of us in the sessions that didn't get multiple legs up from people, sure. you know? Yep. So how do you do that for the, the, for someone else? Right. Beautifully said from the heart, Christine Ullman, you've been so generous with us. Thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record. 
David, I wish you nothing but a huge success with Musicians on the Record. And it's a great podcast and everybody should be watching it. Thank you so much, Christine Ullman, for joining us on the show today. How about that? So many very cool stories about Saturday Night Live, singing the blues, getting the gig, going to the Lorne Michaels uh, wedding and, and getting the gig, the party. It was incredible. Check out christineolman.net. Her latest CD is called The Deep End. It's the beehive queen, everybody. It's very, very cool. Thank you, Christine. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And please let us know which musician's story you'd most love to hear. Please subscribe to the audio podcast here. And if you want to watch all these interviews, there is video evidence of it as well. You can check us out at Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at musiciansontherecord.com. Thanks so much again for being here. If you're enjoying these interviews, please be a roadie for the show. Share them with folks that you know would love them too, especially all, you know, these incredible artists that we are fortunate enough to talk with and such amazing careers. And, you know, it's all about the music. So we're going to keep it all about the music. Until next time, I'm David Ward from Musicians on the Record. Thanks for listening.